One of my other friends started a uh, clothing brand and uh, he joined a forum called Style Forum. And basically he uh, started cr uh, creating a thread on there and he's like, I'm building this clothing brand. Here's what I'm doing with it. Uh, here's the leather that I'm getting and here's where I'm sourcing it from. And here's what's really important. What do you guys think? And it took him like a year to like, uh, uh, you know, from start to launch. And while he was building, he was talking on this forum and more and more people started reading his threads because he was updating it with really interesting information. And so by the time he launched, he had eyeballs. People who were like, you know, this is a really active forum. People who were active on this forum, saw, knew his brand and he's like, we're finally live. And then they went and bought the product yeah. and in a free way. But over the course of a year, it took time. He launched a, a product and it, he didn't launch the crickets. Yeah. All right, Moyes, we're back. Episode seven. We got to give a quick shout out to all of our international listeners. I didn't realize Chartable goes so in depth with international charts, but we are top 10 in the USA, Great Britain, Canada, South Korea, which we're number three over there, Spain, Brazil, Mexico, Norway, India, we're number two, Slovenia, Pakistan, Woo! and Qatar. Pakistan. Pakistan. <laughs> Actually, Pakistan, I think, is at 14 or 15. It's not top 10, but oh, really? okay. we I'm are gonna, pretty close. I'm going to get on WhatsApp after yeah, this you and get, get us to number two and number three. Yeah, yeah. And start sending out the links. Yeah, no, that's where all my click farms are. Yeah, so they'll just exactly. download, listen, like, you know, 10,000 people that's in one location in Karachi yeah. will be listening to us. So big thank you to all our international listeners. We do need reviews, though. We've got, like, top 10 charting. We just don't have it. We've got one review, and one review said, finally, these guys did it. So we need more reviews. We're going to pick four people to start and four people who leave a review are going to get 15-minute calls with Moyes and I. You can come to us with one question, two questions. Uh, we'll answer it on Zoom. And, right. uh, and to be clear, reviews you means you have to review. write something out, right? It's not just a yeah. rating. It's like Apple an actual Podcasts review. Yeah. or okay, Spotify. Fantastic. You can write a review. And does it have to be a five-star review or can it be a one-star review? Uh, it depends if they want the call. You know? <laughs> I would say it depends. <laughs> Uh, okay, fantastic. Well, uh, great intro. A bunch of stuff that we want to get through today. Allbirds had earnings that they came out with a couple days ago. I want to talk about those. Really amazing to see what Allbirds earnings look like. Allbirds actually started in 2016 after Native. And so I always follow them because we sort of started at the same time to see, hey, what should Native be doing compared to them? And they're much larger. And so a ton of stuff to talk about there. Uh, we're going to talk about scaling a new brand. Like, let's say you launch a new brand. What should you be doing to actually get sales? Uh, we're going to be talking about a new gig that we have. Like, side you know, hustle. Yeah, side hustle that we talked about. Like, before we talked about um, how you should create an, a pixel auditor. Right. This is another one uh, that is also worth a fortune. And I'm really excited to chat about it because I've always wanted this as well. Procurement, um, we're going to chat about. And then uh, brands that we love. Sweet. Um, okay, so let's start with Allbirds. How's that sound? That sounds great. Okay. First of all, do you like the shoes? I own one pair of the shoes yeah. and I have not worn them for a long period of time. But that's not necessarily Allbirds' fault. I'm like, you know, sure. I'm traveling. I find the shoes get really hot. You oh, really? Yeah, you can't wear them anywhere. That's you, my problem. You know, it's like a San Francisco brand and it's perfect for San Francisco because it never gets hot. So you need something yeah. warm on your feet. And in San Francisco, everyone has them. Right. So you just like look around and you're like, okay, everyone's got these Allbirds or like Nikes. Yeah. When I come to, when I'm in New York and I see someone wearing Allbirds, I'm like, oh my God, that guy really cares about direct to consumer businesses. <laughs> yeah. You know? Or they're a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're a nerd. <laughs> and like, you know, my parents live in Dallas. I'm in Dallas quite frequently. If I see someone in Dallas wearing Allbirds, I will be like, hey, what do you do in your life that you know about these brands? Right. Um, so I do think that it's a little bit of a West Coast vibe sort of thing, uh, but 
Let's talk a little bit about their numbers and I'll tell you why I like the business. Perfect. So last quarter they did $78 million or $26 million a month, which is absolutely crazy. I would guess that Native's probably on about $200 million run rate at this point. I mean, these guys are north of that. They fundraise, don't get me wrong. And so I would expect them to be north of that and they're not profitable. Um, so I guess that that's also a thing, but $26 million a month, which really blows my mind. One thing that I found was really interesting. So they they announced uh, they gave these they gave this report and they announced all of these numbers. Mm -hmm. They haven't issued their 10Q, which will go into more depth. But based on like basically the conference call that they had and um, the earnings that they released, they said Performance Footwear did 20 million dollars out of the 78 million dollars. So about 25 percent wow. of sales is Performance Footwear, which is really surprising because. When you think about Allbirds, you never think about like, I'm going to go to the gym. I need my Allbirds. Yeah, not at all, ever. And I wonder, that, Did that start with the Adidas collab that they did? I don't know. I think it started before that because I think they had some like runner pairs. It's, I just wonder if they, they call it performance footwear and everyone else just thinks of it as casual. Nike is clearly performance versus casual, right? You're not wearing Air Force Ones to the gym. Sure. You're not wearing Jordans to the gym, probably. You're wearing like, you know, whatever they've cross got. Trainers, the, yeah, sneakers, exactly. Cross yeah. yeah. And I wonder if Allbirds actually has a performance footwear market or everyone is just wearing the performance footwear as a casual sneaker. Uh, but I thought that was really interesting. My guess is the latter. But on their side, it looks, I mean, their shoe looks like a, a replica of, have you ever seen the Noble Runners? No. N-O-B-U-L-L. -L. They're another, they're actually a cooler direct consumer brand because they're completely bootstrapped for a long time. But they, they have a runner that looks exactly like the Allbirds performance shoe. But I feel like this is a, a relatively new category for them. So it is pretty impressive to get to a quarter of their overall sales very quickly. Yeah. Um, the other thing that they mentioned was their primary driver of the increase in sales now is retail. So basically, they're just like, we have 50 stores at this point or 35 to 50 stores, something like that. And that's the primary driver of increase in sales. So it's not direct consumer any longer. It's brick and mortar. But they don't break down sales. They're not like, you know, 40% of our sales is coming from brick and mortar and 60% is coming from direct to consumer. Yeah. Like, I haven't seen that type of breakdown. If they've released it, I haven't seen it. And that would be really helpful for investors like myself to help. Because then I'd be like, okay, how much does it cost to open up a store? And is this worthwhile? Like, let's say it costs you a million two to open up a store. You've got to design it. You've got to furnish it. You've got to train some employees. You've got to put up a bunch of signage. you got to sign a lease, all that kind of stuff. If it costs you a million dollars, million two to put up a store. Yeah. you know, how much revenue are you generating from that store on a yearly basis? They're not releasing any of those types of numbers, but it really makes me wonder how to think about the business. I remember talking to Outdoor Voices a long time ago, and I think they only had like eight stores. And they're like, these eight stores are the reason we're so profitable. They drive a ton. Wow. You know, the operating costs are low. There's no marketing going to running a store. It's not like we're running Instagram ads saying, hey, go, go to the store on Broom or in West Hollywood, they're just like, these stores are a statements in of themselves. They have a sign up and people come to them. Yeah. Okay, so the primary driver uh, that Allbirds announced in their sales, the primary driver of their increase in sales was the retail stores. And that's their owned and operated retail. Their owned and operated retail stores. They, I think they had 35 at the end of the year last year, and now they've got something like 50 or in their mid 40s wow. or something. So they're opening up stores at a decent pace. And I always wonder, like, you know, they don't break down revenue in terms of what comes from direct-to-consumer and what comes from brick-and-mortar stores. And I think that'd be super helpful for investors Do like they break me. down, like, own channels, so both those versus, like, a Nordstrom? 
I think they do, um, but I'd say like 98% of their revenue is coming from right, their just own themselves. Yeah. I think they've recently announced that they're exploring other channels more seriously, sure. but so far it's been basically their own stores or allbirds.com. Yeah. And I'd love to understand like, you know, how much revenue is being driven in stores and how much does it cost to open up a store? Like, is it a million dollars to open up a store between the furniture, the signage, hiring and training employees, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff? And then how long does it take to earn that store money back? Like, you know, are you doing a million dollars in revenue per store? Or are you doing four, four or five million, 10 million in per store such that I'm like, okay, you know what? You can open up a lot more of these stores because you have mm -hmm. got a lot of margin here. So they don't go into that type of depth. Uh, but I remember talking to a guy at Outdoor Voices a long time ago. I think they had about eight stores, maybe, and by a long time ago, I mean a couple of years ago. And they were like, these eight stores are super profitable for us. They're the reason we make money. Uh, they have no marketing acquisition costs. People are coming in, they're, they pay for themselves and then a bunch. And so they help actually subsidize the direct-to-consumer business and the marketing side of this of uh, things. And I always thought that was really surprising. I'd love to get into the economics of this. Yeah, and then same. like, how many stores can you open up? Like, can you, you, you can open up 50, can you open up 500? Like, can this be the next Gap or Nike store? Maybe, uh, but I think it'd be helpful to know the economics to be able to make that decision. Totally. One of the other things they announced was, you know, they're having a, they're like right sizing the ship. They have a lot of SGNA. Unclear how much of that is coming from what does operating that mean? source. Uh, SGNA is sales, general, and administrative expenses. Okay. So it doesn't mean like the cost of the goods, mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean like marketing because that's generally an operating, and it doesn't mean like freight, but it means like how much do I need in wages? How much do I need for my uh, office space? How much do I need in like you know overhead? Basically. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. random overhead. Cool. Um, so unclear how much of that like. SGNA is 42 million or half of all revenue goes to SGNA, which generally means that you're paying a lot, you, you know, it could be a lot of wages. Yeah. Because uh, you have a lot of stores at this point, right? It sure. could be a lot of, we have to buy stuff for the stores and that goes in SGNA as well. Yeah. It's just unclear with those numbers. One of the things that they found, uh, I found really interesting is they wrote down $11.6 million of their inventory. So basically they had all this inventory and they're like first gen apparel. Uh, we had so much of it that we need to take we need to take it off of our books, and so we're saying this twelve million dollars. Let's say it costs us twenty four million dollars. It's now worth twelve million because we're going to either write it, we're going to have it on sale, we're going to discard it, we're going to give it away, uh, we're going to do something. And so they wrote down twelve million dollars of inventory, which is a lot. You know, I talked to a bunch of companies, and a bunch of companies that I've been chatting with also have excess inventory because they, you know, the good days of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one are sort of not that good any longer in twenty twenty two. And they ordered, you know, supply everything. chains got to be six months, so they're like, we need to order everything today. Yeah. And then six months later, they're like, okay, the economy isn't as good, our sales aren't as good, and we finally have caught up with uh, the amount of inventory we needed for twenty twenty sales. So sales are down and inventory is up. So what should we do? And I wonder how people get rid of excess inventory. Have you seen anything interesting in terms of getting rid of excess inventory? Yeah, I'm forgetting the guy's name. There's a guy in Miami who does this. He will say, okay, you have a million dollars of inventory or $2 million. He, like Macy's will call him or, or large companies, large and small will call him. And he then has a software where he can basically scan a barcode and all within seconds, it's listed on like christmas.com, on wow. like all these marketplace sites that you've never even you know thought of going to. Yeah. Uh, eBay, christmas.com, like gifts.com. And he can churn through inventory quick. But the catch is that he buys it, you know, pennies on the dollar yeah. or buys it at like 80, 90% off. Yeah. There's a couple of things I think you can do. Uh, at Native, we had that problem once. And so what I did is... I sold our product into a subscription box, like a FabFitFun competitor, basically. Right. And I was like, hey, why don't you take our uh, product? We'll give it to you at cost. 
And in reality, uh, cost meant I just need to get rid of this inventory. So please <laughs> yeah. take it and pay me for it. Right. And they did. And, you know, we got our product into the hands of a bunch of new customers. I thought that was a really clever idea of like putting it into a subscription box or trying to sell it into a subscription box. Yep. And if you can't sell it in and you're going to give it away, give it to a subscription box. Yeah, so you they can have get the your best customers. consumers. Uh, the other thing I thought of is like a mystery box. So let's say you're selling apparel. Apparel is maybe tough because you got to get sizes. But if you're selling, you know, cans of soda, I'd be like, here's a mystery box with random flavors. You don't know what you're going to get. It's 40% off. And we're going to put in the flavors that we've got excess of and maybe a couple of the ones that you want. And that's a good way to get rid of excess inventory as well. Yeah, the mystery box do, they kind of act as like a new product in terms of reaction from a customer list. A YouTuber friend of mine, Danny Duncan, he'll do a mystery box and he'll sell something for 69 bucks. And it's just, you have no idea what's inside. You just know the value is higher than what you're paying. Yeah. And he'll get a huge tranche of orders from people who are excited to do that. I just looked up the other guy. His site is cartsquad.com. Okay, And awesome. so basically he'll scan your thing and then it plugs into like probably 30 different marketplaces and it just helps liquidate all your inventory. That's great. Yeah, I think it's going to become a bigger and bigger problem for a lot of direct-to-consumer brands as they yeah. like stocked, uh, overstocked. I think the hard part is how do you balance getting rid of inventory without hurting your brand? Right. Like, you know, you don't want to be sold at Ross or TJ Maxx necessarily. Right. And so you got to make sure that like the brands that you associate with are brands that are going to be not dilutive to your own. And that's why I think the mystery box is so good. You're basically selling it to your own customers. Yeah in a way that gives them a discount, but you're not like, hey, this can of soda is actually worth, that I'm selling you, uh, selling to you for a dollar's worth $2 elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're trying to like uh, prevent it from uh, diluting your brand totally. by hiding the identity of the uh, the item. Yep. The other thing I thought that was interesting with Allbirds is they only spent $16 million in marketing on $80 million in revenue, which is so low. I wonder how they categorize expenses. You know, like, yeah. do, like I do remember a lot of brands were running, you know, they they would categorize their store costs as marketing costs. It seems like that's not happening here. Yeah. Or I wonder if like SGNA maybe includes some of the advertising revenue for stores or because it could be counted as store marketing. Yeah, that's a great question. I always thought Casper was trying to do this in a sneaky way where I was like, your marketing costs are low, like too low for based on the number of ads I see yeah. and the amount of revenue you're doing. Like, I don't believe this math makes sense. Yeah. And then you'd see balloon costs elsewhere and you're like, I see. Because, you know, you want to, you know, what's great is that you want to try and hide costs in SGNA. Because then when I go to an investor, I'm like, look, I only spent $18 million in marketing and I did right, $80 million in sales. It sounds great, right? Because you're like, wow, that's fantastic. You know, you could spend a lot more. We'll do a lot more in sales and this is great. Totally. But you don't realize a bunch of that marketing cost is hidden in SG&A. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the case with all birds, but I, I feel like other brands have done this in a way that makes their investment look uh, like a great opportunity. For but sure. SG&A, and you know, SG&A theoretically shouldn't scale as much, right? Like you're not going to have three CEOs when you're in, when you have a hundred stores, you still have one CEO. Right. And so theoretically, Theoretically, SGNA shouldn't scale the same way that marketing costs would. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like a lot of brands, just like you mentioned, try and hide that. And that's a little scary, actually. Yeah. Hard to sniff out. Agreed. Uh, the other thing with Allbirds, which, uh, you know, they, they called it like a simplicity initiative and they're doing a hiring freeze. Um, they had to lay off some people. And, you know, Allbirds people are stellar people. Like this is a great brand that has grown a ton. So if you're looking to hire, go on LinkedIn, find people who used to work at Allbirds. Uh, you know, I bet a bunch of them are going to be looking for new roles and a bunch of them are really talented in the space. Sweet. Okay, let's switch gears. Those were Allbirds earnings. I love going through e-commerce publicly traded companies' yeah, earnings. Yeah, the best. Because I'm like, finally, you have to share with me your numbers. Exactly. And you can't lie here. Did they share their acquisition costs at all? 
Uh, no, they didn't show they their, didn't, they don't okay. talk about new customers versus returning customers. Got it. And they sh I bet they have a good idea, a good sense of that because I bet they're using the Shopify I POS think everything system. is Shopify for yeah, them. Yeah, even in brick and mortar stores, yeah. which is pretty crazy. Like, I'm sure they're one of the five largest brands on Shopify They've with got like to be. figs or something. Yeah. Um, so good for them. They didn't share their customer acquisition costs. I wish they did. Uh, but I love these public, I'm like, you can't lie. Yeah. Although in, in like investor decks uh, that are, you know, where people are trying to raise money from me, I see lies all over the place. Yeah. Some Sometimes inside the deck, I'm like, page seven and page 12 say diametrically opposed things. Which one is true? Yeah. And, uh, you know, here you can't and you have to have attorneys look at it. So I love going through these publicly traded earnings. Or, I'm oh, sorry, yeah. publicly released reports. Uh, but okay, let's switch gears and talk about scaling a new brand. This came to mind just before we were starting to record. So this is something that I see happen a lot for brands that launch. And basically a brand launches... They have sometimes they they launch completely bootstrap and it's somebody who just launches it because they either have an audience or they know they can get an audience. Um, a great example of this is there's a Instagram influencer slash doctor named Amir Karam. He's a Indian guy in San Diego and he's got a few hundred thousand followers. He launched his own skincare brand, KaramMD.com. It's a shit site, but three and a half percent conversion rate great revenue, like hit six figures his first week of launching, like phenomenal business, completely bootstrapped. So that's one way to do it. The other way is is where I think a lot of people that you and I talk to end up, which is they've spent, they've raised some money, maybe not a ton, maybe just a little bit. They've spent money developing this brand identity and everything looks super cool and the site looks awesome. The products are cool. The packaging is nice. But then it's like, okay, the thing is live and now where the fuck are the customers? And they're nowhere to be found. So that's that's one thing. I think the version of that I've seen with celebrity-backed brands or celebrity-partnered brands is the CMOs usually come from large CPG companies, a L'Oreal, an Estee Lauder, a P&G, a Unilever, and they have no idea about the zero to one. They've done the hundred to a billion yeah. or the, the 50 million yeah. to 200 million, but they've never done the zero to one. And so, you know, the common thing I get or I see is like, they're just like, you know, we have this beautiful brand, we're running ads, we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing, but why are we not getting sales? And the biggest easy call out is, well, you're running ads like Kate Spade runs ads, which has been around for decades. Yeah. And you guys have no reason to be around and you're trying to run ads in the same way. Yeah. And so I thought for this segment, we could do, you know, what are three things that every brand could do to help them hit their first 100K or first million dollars much faster? I love that. Uh, that's a great question. And you're so right about those CMOs like coming in and being like, great. You know what they, they do? They're like, let's launch a, like a marketing initiative. And yeah. they're like, we need this one tagline. Right. And then we're going to create all these assets around it. And, uh, you know, as someone who's done zero to one, I'm like, this is useless. <laughs> that that idea will yeah. fail in the first $500 of Facebook ad spend. You'll yeah. realize that idea has failed. Yeah. And then you will have all of these other assets that will be completely worthless, just like you are to this brand. So get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So, Imagine if, if like native was, you know, it, it was like native deodorant, use less. <laughs> and it's like, who the fuck cares? Yeah. No one cares. It that, makes no sense. Yeah. It has no tie back to the customer, back to the product. But for some reason, these large scale campaigns where ADA, you know, you would start, you would basically just focus on each part of ADA is like what they die by. Yeah. I, I think the, one of the reasons they do that is because they're like, look, we need to spend 
when I was leaving Native, our marketing budget was like $40 million a year, right? And I was like, look, I want to spend this on direct-to-consumer, I'm sorry, social ads and all this kind of stuff. But if you're running Tide and you're, you know, your marketing budget is $400 million or $200 million a year or something to that effect. You just have to do dumb shit. Yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> you got to spend a lot of money, you know? Yeah. Like if someone said, hey, let's spend $200 marketing this business, I'd be like, God, I got to think of, re- like, I can't, I don't know how to spend $200 million. Yeah. I got to think of a lot of dumb shit. We go like, tattoo our fans. Yeah, yeah. A lot of <laughs> crazy initiatives to get to work. And yeah. so then you, what you do is you call up some marketing agency that sits in New York or LA and they're like, here's this 24 year old guy or girl who just graduated college and she's your account manager and she's going to talk to this guy. And he once sat next to a guy who did the Coke commercial uh, that was the Hilltop commercial. And so they know what they're talking about. And so, yep. you know, you got to spend $2 million and you're like, great, I need to spend 200 million. So here's <laughs> yeah. that check and let's get going. And then you assign a 24 year old on your team to work with that 24 year old. And that's how all these people out of 20, that are 24 years old that have marketing jobs on Bumble get employed. That's what they're doing. That's what all these 24-year-olds on Bumble are doing. But um, I think what you asked is a much better question, which is how do you actually get from zero to one? Yeah. I'll start with an idea and then you start with an idea. Cool. How's that sound? Okay. Perfect. So the first thing that we did was we posted on Product Hunt, which I thought was really smart because it got us 60 sales. And we're like, you know what? This is a good, this is a good enough idea that uh, people will buy this product once we are able to get their eyeballs on it. And we got their eyeballs on it for free. And so that was really helpful. Yeah. One of my other friends started a cl- uh, clothing brand and uh, he joined a forum called Style Forum. And basically he uh, started cr- uh, creating a thread on there and he's like, I'm building this clothing brand. Here's what I'm doing with it. Uh, here's the leather that I'm getting and here's where I'm sourcing it from. And here's what's really important. What do you guys think? And it took him like a year to like, uh, uh, you know, from start to launch. And while he was building, he was talking on this forum and more and more people started reading his threads because he was updating it with really interesting information. And so by the time he launched, he had eyeballs. People who were like, you know, this is a really active forum. People were active on this forum, knew his brand. And he's like, we're finally live. And then they went and bought the product in a free way. But over the course of a year, it took time. He launched a product and he didn't launch the crickets. Yeah. Yeah, so basically building in public, talking yeah. about the process. Yeah, building in public. Sharing more of yes. it. Yeah. I love, I love how that. you summed up everything I said in three words. That's exactly <laughs> right. Build in public. Uh, yeah, I love that. So one thing I think about a lot is focus on education versus selling. I mean, I think it's always been the key. Like even if you think about advertorials, right? It's basically education over selling and it's entertaining over over focusing on, on direct selling. But I think especially the last two years with TikTok blowing up, yeah. everybody just wants a good story. You know, that meme of story time going viral in the comments from TikTok. Like everybody just wants a good story. They want to learn something. They want to yeah. get something out of it. And I think like for brands that focus on on explaining why they de- deserve to exist there and why they deserve to have a website and be able to ship you something, focusing on educating that piece versus just come try us. We've got the best serum. It's made with this hyaluronic acid it's made with this no one gives a fuck (laughs) but they want to know something they can get out of it yeah yeah i recently had a phone call with some guy who was starting a brand and he's like uh look our brand uses the best ingredients and everyone else just says that and i was like that doesn't stand out because everyone says they use the best ingredients that is not enough no one's gonna say we use the second best yeah 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 that's uh, right dermatologist yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's a great Seinfeld skit. We use stuff skit. that's not dermatologist recommended. Yeah, there's a great Seinfeld skit where he's like, everyone says they have the best doctor. Not everyone can have the best doctor. Yeah. And then he's like, tell, uh, you know, if you're going to visit Dr. John, tell him that Moyes recommended you. And then, <laughs> then he's like, what is that going to do? So the doctor is going to be like, oh, Moyes recommended you? Oh, okay, then I'll give you the real medicine. Yeah, I was yeah. going to give you the fake medicine, but you know Moyes. Here's yeah. the real stuff. Exactly. Okay, here's another interesting way I think that people can launch, which is like uh, marketing campaigns in their launch. And two brands that I th- uh, have done this really well. One is Harry's. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember this, but when Harry's sign launched, up. yeah, they did this thing where they're like, sign up and refer friends. If you refer five friends, you're going to get a free razor blade. Like if you refer 10 friends, you're going to get a razor blade and a handle. Refer mm. 20 and you're going to get a razor blade, a handle and shaving cream. They made all of this public. They even put the code. They put the code up there so you could recreate this platform. Mm-hmm. And when you launch, not launch the crickets. And that was the line that I remember they used. They're like, when we launch, we don't want to launch the crickets. How do we do this? They created this referral campaign before they launched so they're like go refer your friends and uh you know we'll get bigger that that's how we get we're, we won't launch the crickets and i thought that was really genius since then so many brands have tried that and it hasn't worked nearly as well as it has for harry's yeah. i think harry said they launched with a hundred thousand customers or at least a hundred thousand email addresses yeah because of this campaign so i think you have to do something innovative another company that did something really innovative was a company called mailbox do you remember those guys no so they were an app like an email app on your uh, cell phone Okay. And you downloaded the app and they had a countdown. They had a wait list. And they're like, this is what number you are on your wait list. Yeah. And so uh, I downloaded it. I remember I was like 80,000. And like 10 times a day, I would uh, I look at the app to see where I was on the wait list. And I was like 70,000, you know, 60, 50. And it probably took me two weeks to get an invite. Yeah. And every day that I had downloaded it, but was not in, uh, had not started using it, I was looking at it like five times, ten times a day. Like wow. I was multiple uh, times a day. And as soon as I started using it, I was like, "This app sucks. I'm never using it again." <laughs> but it was a, such a clever strategy of launching. And like within three weeks of launching, they sold their business for $100 million to Dropbox. And probably like six weeks after that, Dropbox is like, turns out nobody is using this app. The only thing people were using it for was the download count or like, you know, the counter in terms of the wait list. Yeah, the excitement to get it. Yeah, exactly. And once we uh, opened it up to everybody, nobody cared about it. So it's gone now. But, you know, that was a really clever way of launching. And so I think you need to think of those types of clever ways to stand out from the crowd. I don't know what the next one is. If I did, I would probably launch another brand simply by virtue of having a great idea to launch. Yeah. Uh, But I think that's also a great way to launch to not crickets and not cost you anything. Totally. Uh, One last one I'll throw in there is a lot of brands actually don't even know who their customer is. We have a brand we just started working with. They'll do 140 million in revenue this year. They're like, yeah, so between retail and even online, we have no idea who our customer is. So can you help us figure that out? Yeah. And I think for especially a new brand to be able to message well and run ads in, a, in an effective way, you know, I think you have to know who your customer is, like where do they live, their gender, their age, that's for sure. But I think you also got to understand where do they get their news? Where do they consume their content? Yeah. What apps do they spend the most time on? If they were posting to Instagram stories, what are they posting? Yeah. If they're retweeting on Twitter, what are they retweeting? What are they liking versus retweeting? And I think getting that definition of your customer then you can look at any marketing opportunity in the future and you could say, well, this doesn't really work because our customer doesn't do this kind of stuff or this works really well and here's why we should do it. That's a great idea. Let me mention one thing since we're uh, summing this up now. Uh, 
is don't launch like this. Like what you should do is launch and uh, try and launch privately and quietly yeah. and uh, run some ads and see if people are interested in the brand. Don't spend $2 million on a marketing agency, building a really nice website and uh, you know uh, building out really great packaging and then launch and then launch to crickets. You are gonna be disappointed if you do all that work. Yeah. No brand launches and they're like, guess what? We just did $500 million in sales today. Great idea. We were all right about everything. Right. Like you are gonna launch and you're gonna be disappointed with your sales. So work your way up. And I think it was like Reed Hoffman who was like, if, you, if you're uh, happy with the first iteration of your website, you waited too long to launch, you should be embarrassed. And like yeah. one of the guys who does this really well is Hims. They launched Hims as the Viagra seller under a different brand. I forgot what it was called. And uh, they started running paid ads to it. And they're like, within a, a spending $10,000 in paid ads, they're like, this is the greatest idea we've ever had. Let's stop running paid ads to this site that doesn't work. Let's take down this brand and let's actually go build out hymns because we know we've proven this works with spending $10,000 on ads. Totally. And I think they created a sign-up for him. Yep. The other guy who did this really well is uh, Justin Mayers at Kettle and Fire. Yeah, he's the man with this. I love this. Yeah. He's like, um, he started, he launched Kettle and Fire and he run, started running ads. People would buy the product on Shopify. He'd never made it. And he would email them instantly and be like, look, we don't have this product. I will give you a 100% refund right now, or we will launch this product in six weeks and I'll give it to you for 50% off. Mm -hmm. You tell me what you'd like and I'm happy to give you a refund right now or give you a half off six weeks from now. And you know, a bunch of people would take the half off, but more importantly, he's like, even if people ask for the refund, he's like, people will buy this product. This is what my cost of customer acquisition will look like. That is a much better way to launch. Yep. Don't launch the crickets. Don't actually, don't even launch. Like, you know, yeah, make, make up brand. everything. Yeah, yeah, go to Unbounce, use the trial, make a fake brand and launch it. You could do exactly what you did. Take the colors from one brand, the fonts from yeah, another. Yeah, Go to Take Unsplash, get some free imagery, yeah. throw it up, build a lander and do it. Yeah, yeah, you, natives. You could, you could really test a brand in less than 15K. Definitely, definitely. Okay, great. Let's switch gears and talk about procurement. First, I think that was a really great conversation because I think that's the question I always get asked, which is how do I launch a brand now? Yeah. I've got this idea. I want to launch it. Right. Do it on the cheap to make sure it works. Do not spend a ton of money and try and do it without anything to say, to have a proof of concept. You know what's way like, you know, going to investors and being like, look, I've got this idea. I want to raise money is like not worthless, but it's not very good or compelling to Agreed. an investor. What's much stronger is to be like, look, I spent $10,000 in Facebook ads. I generated $50,000 in revenue. I didn't have a product. It shows that you're committed, that you hustle, that you, the unit economics on this business will work and that people care about this. Those are ways to prove that your business will work without a ton of money. Agreed. Go do all of those things. Yep. Fully agreed. Okay. Switch gears to procurement. Okay. What is procurement? So have you, you don't know what procurement is, which is crazy to me because you worked at P&G. Yeah. So every large company has what's called a procurement department and sometimes a chief procurement officer. Procurement is like your Indian mom who makes sure your bills are right. Like you're not overspending anywhere. You're not getting a bill that's a dollar higher, a cent higher than market rate. So for example, if you're a marketing agency and you say, we're going to go work with uh, Bacardi on this project, first of all, they'll say, well, we, actually, we don't need you. We have tons of agencies. We have tons of agencies that have been approved by procurement, so we don't need you. Bacardi will say that. Bacardi will say that after inviting you in. Then they'll say, oh, you do want to work with us? Okay, well, here's what our rates are to work with you. And it's like they set Bacardi is saying this is how much we'll pay. So let's say you say, well, this whole thing is going to cost... You know, I'm just making numbers up yeah. here. Let's say uh, it's going to be a hundred thousand dollar a month retainer, 
and that breaks down, you know, they're like, well, why is that a hundred thousand? Oh, well, this is how much it costs, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, give me the hourly rate for every person on your team and <laughs> they will beat you down. Yeah. And so I hate procurement with yeah. a passion. They're, I want to add $50,000 to deal with your bullshit. Yeah, exactly. So they'll beat you down and they basically come to you and say, well, your opportunity is working with us. And so anyways, all these big companies have it. Fabletics has it. Bacardi yeah. has it. P&G has it. And so why does it exist? Well, it exists basically to ensure that the company is getting the best rates or the best market rates possible. So if somebody says, we're going to buy you Facebook ads and charge you 15% of media, they're going to be like, well, we have Starcom that'll charge us 6%, even yeah. though they know nothing about yeah. buying ads. So- why is it relevant here? I think that it's, uh, you know, going back to what you say a lot of the times, which is, you know, double check your bills and make sure you're not getting yeah. overcharged. I also think that, you know, like for, for long weekend, I just texted our Shopify plus rep yesterday and I was like, Hey, so there's two procurement services that are common. One is called main street, um, which I've used personally. The other one's called order.co, which I haven't heard of, haven't used until I looked this up, but main street, the way it works is you basically pay them 20% of what they shave off for you. So if you're paying $2,500 a month for Shopify- um, And they and, get you a discount, they take a Yeah, cut. so that's $30,000. Okay. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. they get you down to 1,500 yeah, and that's 18K, yeah. they'll take 20% of 12K yeah, and that's yeah. their fee. So it, it's kind of a genius idea. The only thing that I wonder is, does it create a bad relationship with me and Shopify now when I need something next? Or do I get sure. kicked out of the next, you know, yes. bait, like we're in a beta for a new Shopify launch coming soon. Are they not, they're going to be like, no, fuck this guy. Yeah. He haggles us and yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. going to give him the beta. But I also just texted our Shopify person and said, you know, instead of dealing with them, could you just give us the deal directly? Yeah. And so I think procurement is something you don't have to use an outsourced firm to do it. I think it's something brands could practice internally. Yeah. And really all it is for a smaller brand is just saying, hey, rates. is this really the best rate yeah, you could yeah. give us? Like, yeah. what else can we do or what else can you guys do to help us out on this rate? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, a couple of things to that. Uh, one is, it sounds like a double-edged sword and that Bacardi would be like, hey, it's uh, we're going to pay you $100,000 to do this. And you might be like, well, I was going to charge you 50, but 100 sounds great. Sure. But I bet that never happens. Never. Uh, yeah, that never <laughs> happens. Uh, two is... Really interesting that you can save money on Shopify with order.co. So I, I have nothing, I know nothing about this, but it sounds like if you're on Shopify, call order.co and try yeah, and save 20% or mainstream and try and save 20% off your Shopify bill. Makes a ton of sense. I, I guess the other concern I would have if I were Bacardi is I'm like, okay, great. You want to do this in $100,000? Guess what? We're going to give it a shittier, we're going to give you the shittier team. You know, like yeah. here's like we've got real surgeons. You you want to go uh, here? Like, let's say you're getting surgery. Do you want to get the guy who's going to charge twenty five thousand? You want to haggle? And they're like, yeah, okay, this guy will do it for ten thousand. Right. You know, that's a little bit scary. And I, I, you know, there was one instance where Native was making boxes, and every cu couple months, I'd call him up and be like, I need to shave off a few cents on this box. And within um, like the first few times, I didn't notice, but a year later, I was like, this box is worse. And they're like, how do you think we're shaving off these costs? Like, you know, we're using cheaper cardboard. We're shaving off some of the panels to make them cheaper so that you don't use as much. Uh, we're using thinner cardboard. And like, you know, I didn't notice it right away, but within a year, I was like, okay, you get what you pay for and I'm getting something shittier. Yeah. Um, so I wonder how much that happens. Totally. But this is a great segue into our next conversation, which is procurement for direct-to-consumer brands in two different ways. And this also ties into these are the side, side hustles. hustles. These are yeah. side hustles. 
So uh, procure me better rates for my fucking 3PL. <laughs> Every 3PL in the world is run by a crook. Yep. There are three things that are true in life. Death, taxes, and your 3PL is cheating you. Okay. <laughs> and I'm positive of number three more than I am of the first two. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I want someone to sit down and audit my 3PL bill every yeah. single month. Yep. I want them to look at every packet, uh, like every line item. What does this package weigh? How much did you spend shipping it? Did you charge me the right amount? You said on three pound orders, you were going to charge me $5. Yep. This one's five sixty. What the fuck? You're selling me boxes. You're all of a sudden charging me more for these boxes. Or, you know, you were packing everything in a three by five by two box. And now all of a sudden it's six by four by eight. And now I'm paying more. Like, you know, a couple of my brands, I've seen people send stuff and like the box is the size of a refrigerator. The item is the size of a Coke can or a deodorant and the box is a fucking refrigerator size box. And I'm like, did this customer open this package up? And they're like, what massive gift did I get? And it's the size of a deodorant when you it's a refrigerator size box. So your 3PL, like I want somebody to audit 3PLs and look at, is the storage cost make sense? Like, you know, they're charging me for this many pallets, this many bins, this many shelves. Like that sounds like too many shelves shelves this month like why is it this many shelves uh i want them to audit like uh, you know are, are they adjusting my postage too much because like you know this practice ship they said it was going to weigh three pounds it weighed four but it should have actually weighed three or should have weighed two so uh, i think a, a side gig would be audit three pls and you could just be like look i only work with ship hero i only work with you know what's another three pl that you know uh stock yeah I only work with stored and uh, I only look at their three PL bills because I know how to read them really easily. Right. But I will like, you know, if you're a client there, give me access to it. I will look at it and audit it and I'll take 50% of the savings. Yeah. I think that's genius. I think that uh, that same mentality applies to even like branding agencies, marketing agencies. There's so many times where I've heard, you know, we, uh, I was just on the phone with somebody before this and she's like, yeah, we're using Bluecore for email, which costs us $160,000 a year. And I was like, have you heard of Clavio? Like who made this decision for you? Or, you know, they get, they work with some agency to get off the ground because that's what they were pitched as the best option. And it's almost like these, uh, these founders just get tricked without knowing it. But I think something like an audit service, whether you come in for 3PLs, whether you come in for your agencies, whether you yeah. come in for whatever, I think it's huge. And I think this is easily something where any brand doing over $100,000 a month would say, yeah, we're going to spend five $5,000 a month just making sure, you know, 5K a quarter, we'll put an audit together and Jeff or, or Carrie's going to come in and do a full audit of everything we're doing and tell us everything where we're getting overcharged. Yeah, I think it can also be, hey, look, we're going to audit this and uh, whatever I save you, I'm going to like order.co, I'm going to take 20 or even 50% of or fuck, take 100%. I'd rather you have yeah, it than for the like first time. three people crook, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, the other interesting way to do this, so I think that's one side hustle and I think that's a great idea is audit 3PLs. And you're right, you can probably audit other things too. Like if I'm hiring a branding agency to do to create postcards that I'm going to be handing out outside right. the New York City subway and you're charging me 10 cents a postcard when it should be three cents a postcard, yeah. you know, that's a great audit as well. The other uh, side hustle I think that can exist here is uh, optimizing servers. This doesn't necessarily happen with Shopify brands because Shopify brands are using Shopify servers, but a lot of companies that are not on Shopify are working on AWS. Mm -hmm. And there's almost always a way to optimize your AWS server to bring that cost down. Like people are like, oh, you know, they just throw more and more issues at the, uh, AWS and AWS can scale up e really easily. And so it solves a problem. The problem is you're just paying more for it because you're eating up more of AWS's servers bandwidth. Yeah. And so if you optimize, 
optimize your code, you can actually bring that cost down and that cost down stays with you perpetually, right? Mm -hmm. Like let's say you were paying, you know, at native, we were paying probably $7,000 for a server at, uh, for AWS servers at any given time per month. You know, if you'd optimize that server and brought it down to $3,500, I'd probably split that $3,500 of savings with you. Mm -hmm. And now you're making $1,750 a month perpetually because uh, I've switched, because uh, I'm saving $1,750 a month perpetually too. Uh, so I think that's a great side hustle. Yeah, totally. Not as necessarily relevant as auditing 3PLs, which uh, I would love to do right away. <laughs> okay, great. We're going to wrap up with a few things. One is uh, shout outs to some brands. Yep. Two is I'm really excited about a couple things coming out, which is one, we're doing an interview with Harvey Finkelstein. for Harley. I'm sorry, Harley. And uh, we're doing that in early September. We're going to shoot it in early September, mid-September. Really excited about that. Yeah. I mean, this guy has a bird's eye view of e-commerce in the way that nobody else does, both from a tactical perspective and from a forest rather than trees perspective, I'm really excited to chat with him and to chat with yeah, him. About I'm excited like to poke all the holes, you know, like I was telling Ben before this, I don't care about his personal story. I want to get to the details. Of, yeah. You know, why are you not doing this? Yeah. How is Shopify going to help merchants with this? I want to get to that as well. And I think Harley's answer might be like, look, we're going to get to it. And that's a, per you know, people in native would always be like, why aren't you doing more influencer marketing? Why aren't you doing these 10 things? And I'm like, dude, we're going to get to that shit. Give us time. Like yeah. we haven't been around that long. You know, Shopify's probably like, look, we've got a bunch of stores on here. We've onboarded them. We've, uh, you know, acquired a delivery company. Like we're probably doing these 15 things. As a Shopify shareholder, I hope they get to all those things faster. Same. So I'm excited to have that conversation with Harley. The other person that I, where I'm trying to get on is this woman named Shannon who sold a deodorant business to Harry's. Mm -hmm. uh, she sold it earlier this year or last year. And I really like, you know, it's, it was very quiet sale. I think it was Harry's first acquisition. And I know the deodorant category well, and I've been talking to her for a long time. So I like, you know, we've been chatting on Instagram a little bit uh, back and forth, and hopefully this puts a little bit of pressure on her to join the, uh, to join the pod. And I want to ask her all the questions. You sold your business to Harry's and didn't tell anybody how much. How much? Yeah. First question. <laughs> there will be no beating around the bush. How much did you sell for? Yeah. You Second don't answer question, it. Yeah. Press the button. Yeah. Couch falls. <laughs> yeah. Second question doesn't even matter. First question we got to get to. Okay. But before we get to all of those things, I want to talk about shout outs to brands. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, give me a shout out to a brand that you really love. We'd love to uh, hear about it. Yeah, so one is, it's actually technically direct-to-consumer, but it's like 100 years old, which is Mascot. It's yeah. an eyewear company in yeah. New York. At a basketball game, I was randomly sitting next to uh, Zach Mascot. That was his last name. Wow. And uh, I was wearing my Warby Parker glasses, which I've had on for like six years now. Yeah. He's like, oh, you should, uh, those look a little old. You should probably get some new glasses. Wow. I was like, where do you recommend I get them? He's like, go to Mascot. So yeah. I went there. And just the best eye doctors for an eye exam, like really? most, kind of like what Ten does for dental, which Ten is probably my other brand here. What Ten does for dental, kind of making it not scary and not aggressive and yeah. not like, you know, there's things going in your mouth. Yeah. Moscot does that with your eyes. So it just felt like I was a celebrity when I was there. That's awesome. I bought glasses from them as well. And they have amazing frames. Yeah. Um, did you get a sense of how successful the business is? I'm curious to know, like, you know, well, let me ask you this. When Zach left, was it in a Bentley or a Toyota? Uh, or you didn't get to see? I didn't see. Okay. But I would imagine the way he was like talking and his swagger, I think it was a Bentley. <laughs> love it. Good for him. Yeah. Okay, my brand, I really love Sanzo, which is actually the soda I'm drinking. I purchased the soda. I've not been gifted anything from them. I don't really know the brand well. I'm not an investor. 
but they're building in public, which I really like. Yeah. And the founder uh, like seems so genuinely grateful for all these opportunities. Yeah. And like, you know, he has some Asian heritage and I'm not entirely sure where he's from, but as a result, his flavors have like an Asian inspired. And so they're always a little bit more interesting than uh, I'm like expecting. Uh, like, you know, I would expect a root beer, not a lychee sparkling water. Right. And so I really like the brand and don't mind paying for it. But I'm really grateful to see how how much he builds in public and how like excited he is about the brand. Like for me, when I was at Target and like a native would run out of stock, I'm like, what the fuck are these people doing? Someone go in the back and stock this shelf. And he's like, I'm so grateful that people are putting Sanzo in the front of Target. And I'm like, wow, I want to be like him more. Yeah, he's he's a great dude. Uh, Have you met him? Yeah, so I, I invested in Sanzo's first round. Oh, I had I'm, no idea. Yeah, when I met him, he had cases of b- glass bottles of Sanzo just crowding his apartment. And I was like, this guy is going to make it because he's so determined, because he's such a hustler. Yeah. And every time I meet him, he's just one of the nicest guys in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, industry has enough assholes like me. I appreciate the nice guys. So yeah. I want more of them. It's, it's all about balance. It's all about Diet balance. soda and cake. You know? <laughs> awesome. Well, that's it for uh, episode seven. Episode eight, we've got a bunch of stuff lined up, including one thing that I really want to get into that we didn't have time for today, which was Quibi. Quibi was like this uh, Meg Whitman and like Katzenberg idea that could have been the next TikTok, Uh, sort of the same idea, but they zigged when they should have zagged and it cost them $100 billion. uh, And I'm really excited to get into that. Let's do it. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Uh, and please leave that review. Uh, well, you know, Nick and I are excited to do these calls, uh, four calls, 15 minutes each with people who leave reviews. Yep. Awesome. Thanks again. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. 